0: You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen.
1: Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we are talking with Jen Porter, author and COO of the nonprofit Mindshare Partners. In this first episode of our two-part series on mental health, Jen's going to be talking with us about addressing bias around mental health in the workplace. We'll hear Jen's thoughts on the importance of managing and addressing personal bias when it comes to mental health issues in the workplace. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at Workplaces Everywhere.
1: Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Jim Porter. Thank you, Teresa. I really appreciate you having me. So, Jim, before we get started, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, I am currently
2: um, a COO and was a founding team member of Mindshare Partners. My background's really in general business management and entrepreneurship um, in a few different sectors. Um, but I've been at Mindshare now for about six and a half years. Mindshare's focus is creating cultures that support mental health at work. So we, half of our work is working directly with companies, training, advising, transformation, culture change. What does it actually look like to support mental health? And the other half is using that knowledge and research to advocate for change in workplaces overall.
1: I love it. I love it. I, I'm i so happy when we get a chance on the show to talk about mental health issues in the workplace because I think it's so important I think that Mental health conditions can impact various aspects of anybody's life, including their ability, of course, to be productive and successful in the workplace. And I was looking at some statistics uh, on the DOL's website. So, the US Department of Labor, um, according to them, the National Institute of Mental Health estimates that one in five people will experience a mental health condition in their lifetime, and that one in four Americans currently know someone who has a mental health condition. And I think you know, given the impact of COVID nineteen, among other things that we've been experiencing these past several years, I think it's likely that most employers have at least one, if not more, um, employees experiencing a mental health condition. So, what I'd like to do to start with is kind of talk about the basics to sort of help our readers, anyone, our readers, our listeners, anyone who's listening who might be interested in. Getting together information in order to be able to go to a supervisor or an executive team and talk about possibly working on the culture that they have and improving that culture. So let's just start with talking about why it's so important that companies, for example, encourage those in leadership positions to address their own issues, uh, their own bias around mental health issues. Well,
2: you're right teresa that there's a 20-25 percent um, of americans experience mental health condition in any given year but if you actually broaden that definition and just look at people who experience symptoms of mental health challenges so for example you can feel depressed and not necessarily have a diagnosis of depression you can feel anxious and not necessarily have a right. diagnosis of anxiety that number actually goes up to about 70 percent and that's just if you're looking at full-time workers and so what has historically been, I think, a conversation that feels a little bit more us, them. Like, oh, here's there's us that are running workplaces or here are the, us that are leaders or in HR and there's like people out there that might have struggles with their mental health. And when we reframe it to just think about it as mental health challenges, it's just an us. It's truly everyone is gonna have ups and downs and does have ups and downs on a daily, weekly, monthly, you know, basis. And so reframing it in that way it makes it more of a central priority than just, oh, are we going to decide to advocate for this sort of other group of people? But rather, this is just water that we're swimming in. This is something that everyone experiences. And what tends to be different about mental health and say physical health, you know, so if 70% of people in our office had COVID, we would define this as a great tragedy and a great crisis. But on an everyday basis, you know, a good majority of people are experiencing these kinds of ups and downs. but with mental health, there's trust issues. There's a stigma. It's more than just you have it or you not. It's people are actively trying to hide it because they are worried about what other people will think about them, about professional repercussions. And so you mentioned bias. Bias is just part of that belief system that we've got around mental health and it might come from, the family we grew up in it might come from our culture it might come from formative experiences that we've had but we're all coming with certain beliefs around what it means you know to struggle with our mental health and because so many people are it's important to examine what are my beliefs around this and are my beliefs around this a a detriment to being able to help other people being able to see it in myself and be able to create a place where everyone can succeed at work
1: I think it's really interesting. So my background as an attorney, I go right to accommodation issues and that is an impact. That isn't uh, an issue. But what I think is interesting is the 70 percent number that you mentioned on and framing it as challenges, Um, because while businesses, of course, have to be concerned about those mental health issues that rise to the point of an employee needing some type of an accommodation or whatever it might be but i think it's interesting this idea that it's more about being empathetic and giving grace to those who just on an everyday basis are struggling with things that really are impacting their life but not their ability to work or maybe or or maybe so in in more dire circumstances or more impactful circumstances but i do think it's interesting to include in that this idea that You know, it it might be a temporary issue that you're going through. It might be something that you didn't expect to happen and you're dealing, you know, you're just dealing with it. Yeah. And certainly including both is important. What we've seen is mental
2: health has become part of more of the dialogue really since 2020, 2021, is that some employers are taking it that they're only going to use like wellness. They're only going to talk about, you know, they're going to use like the lightest, most gentle vocabulary to talk about it. And in a way that's wonderful because it's very inviting. It's not hard to talk about wellness, but when companies stop there and they go, the only thing we're gonna talk about is wellness. We don't wanna go there when it comes to like conditions or, you know, more serious challenges. You do end up alienating a whole chunk of people that might have a diagnosis or experiencing other types of challenge. But the good news is, is when you're looking at the actual skills that you want managers to have, they actually are quite similar. When you have a manager who's wants to support an employee who has a temporary down day versus a manager who needs to support an employee who has a long-term diagnosed condition, the managers aren't therapists, the managers aren't attorneys. Their mm-hmm. skill that's the same. And so in that sense, investing in managers having skills around having conversations where mental health might come up, knowing when and how to loop in, you know, HR should accommodations be needed, or if you're not sure, you know, whether accommodations should be needed. And as a manager, creating a team culture of safety and a team culture where mental health's acknowledged, talked about and and taken care of. All those skills are the same, whether you're looking at someone on one end of the spectrum or the other, or having an up or a down or like whatever their situation looks like. So, in that sense, defining mental health at an organization certainly is inclusive of wellness and also is inclusive of maybe longer term, diagnosed conditions, all of that can be taken care of and managed at work with honestly a pretty straightforward set of of skills.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because that goes along with a lot of things that I tell employers and we'll talk about the how uh, when we come back from our break, but don't be afraid to have a conversation. I think that's one of the biggest things, and it might stem from bias in a lot of circumstances. I think there's a lot that goes on um, that managers and leaders and people are dealing with behind the scenes as as to why they view mental health in in a particular perspective. And I do think their own biases are one of them. I do think business pressure is another, but the idea that you're holding back from having that conversation because you're afraid of what the employee is going to say Cause you don't want to end up with this nice little, you know, pile of poo. Like I'm oh, great. Now what do I do? What do I do with this? You know, but the idea that it not being afraid to have that conversation comes from two things. And one is what you're talking about, which is getting over that bias. Like you can't open up a dialogue. If you are not able to set that bias aside and say, okay, I may feel about it this way outside of the workplace, but when I come into the workplace, I'm a leader of people and I have a job to do and I need to address the issue that I'm seeing without, and, and the fear is the underlying condition. The fear is you're going to ask the question, what do you need? How can we provide it? And that employee's going to go, wow, let me tell you. <laughs> right. Exactly. That we hear that so often,
2: especially from managers, like, just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of aw- awkwardness, honestly, around like, what do I say and what do I do? And I think it's really interesting. One of our sort of clinical advisors at Mindshare Partners shared something. She said that to recognize that part of a job of a manager is to manage the success of a company. And it's also part of my job to take care of the people within that company. And actually those two things support each other. There's kind of this view, I think, more traditionally that if we're supporting mental health, that means we're not being productive or we're not able to drive towards business goals. And if we're driving towards our business goals, and that's our one thing, then we're not able to support mental health. Like that they're in sort of opposition with each other. But the reality is, and the research shows over and over, supporting mental health supports people. And when people are doing the jobs, the jobs are done better. So they really aren't in opposition of each other at all. And that is, Certainly, as you mentioned, one of the biases we might have, which is just thinking that they're not
1: they're not supportive of each other in that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a great way to put it. It's a really great way to put it. Um, and I think that what feeds into that, and you tell me in your experience if you found this to be supported. I think that some people get into management positions. I've been here so long, or I, you know, I want the title, I want the promotion, I want the money, I want the hours, and they get into those manager positions, but they never really—they're not managers. They've never been told how to be a manager or what being a manager means. They've watched somebody else do it, and and like everything else, when you watch somebody else, maybe that person wasn't very good at it, you know. So maybe that person you were observing. You know, had their own biases, and this is how you learned how to do it, and and they just don't know quite how to manage people. So I think that training in that regard becomes a big becomes a big factor. Have you have you found that to be true?
2: Absolutely, and it's worth I think acknowledging too that it's well known that companies underinvest in managers and leadership development. And that people who are promoted into management are promoted because they're good at the core work, not necessarily because they're going to be managers and that, those are well established facts. And also, I think we've seen, especially in the last three to five years, the jobs of managers have gotten much bigger. And I don't know right. that that's been like fully acknowledged. So we tend to put a lot on managers for the right reason. I mean, recent research came out and showed that a manager has an equal effect on an individual's mental health and their spouse or long-term partner. It is true that managers have a lot of impact. Right. And the expectation has changed. There is a higher expectation now from employees, especially younger ones, that employers are addressing their whole self, that they are talking about mental health, that managers are um, a coach, a boss, a mentor, an emotional support, I mean, And so I don't know that that's been fully acknowledged. And so I think in addition to companies already under investing in leadership development, let's fix that. And let's also acknowledge that the job has gotten bigger and not make it too big. There are certainly managers who feel like they have to be therapists and feel like they have to fix things, which is not appropriate, but we can't put people into positions where they're managing other people in the workplace and not address basic skills around having conversation, risk management, holding boundaries, you know, all of these things that are going to empower people to be successful and their managers to be successful in that role and therefore help people feel more productive, safe, engaged, you know, willing to stay stay in the long term.
1: Yeah, I always talk about when I get the chance to talk to HR professionals and managers and things, I always talk about what's their responsibility and what's not their responsibility, especially around accommodation issues and deciding whether something needs to be accommodated or whether something rises to the level of harassment or whatever, it's not their job to make those decisions. Exactly. In most companies, um, it's to recognize the signs, to listen to what somebody's saying, and not necessarily be the person that has all the answers and all of that. But like you say, that coach, that okay, I see the problem. Let's address. You know, let's 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 elevate it. Let's get somebody else in here who can address that for you. Let me get. HR involved and get you the paperwork you need because you might have an issue and here are your rights. They can tell you all about that. Not that they have to know all that information, right? I think that's super important to keep in mind as well. Because I'm with you, the job is enormous and the risks are enormous because, from a litigation perspective, anyway, most of the mistakes that are made are made, unfortunately, at a supervisor managerial level because nobody's told them this isn't your job. You know, this is, you don't make, you don't have to make these decisions. Right. Right. And don't show your, don't show your bias. (laughs) That's right. right. (laughs) Well, and what we often see
2: as well is to your point, either managers just not knowing when to loop in HR or how to, or just handing it off completely being like, I don't know what to do. Like call this number, go for it. And that can be damaging as well because our hope is that when there is a situation where, It would be helpful to have HR, maybe it's a formal accommodation, maybe it's an exploratory conversation, that a collaboration between the person who's impacted, who's going to know the most about what they need in their specific situation, the manager who's going to know the most about the team, and also may have some information about the person, and then the HR side, which is going to know most about what's available from a company side, you know, risk and things like that. And when those three perspectives can work together, versus one of them dominating, that's when you're probably going to get the best solution. And frankly, a lot of solutions take a little bit of time. So working with that group mm-hmm. and, and iterating over time is going to create the best solution.
1: Yeah. The more brains, the better. That's right. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back more from Jim Porter on addressing bias around mental health, stay with us. We'll be right back. Take a step toward bringing our country and community together. Start a meaningful conversation at
2: lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels in the Ad Council.
1: If you enjoyed today's show, share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Jen Porter of Mindshare Partners about the importance of addressing personal bias around mental health in the workplace. So let's get a little more practical. Let's talk about how best managers and leaders of people can sort of work together, as you say, to recognize, hopefully, and address their own personal bias, if any, that they may have around mental health issues. Because I think that's really important um, about how to do it and how to do it in a way that's going to be safe for the individual, safe for uh, both individuals involved. And then, of course, from my legal perspective, managing the risk from the company as well. So how best can managers tackle this difficult issue when they have bias? Sure. Well,
2: I think there's a few things to think about. One is even just acknowledging it is a good portion of the work. Uh, You mentioned early on how many people know someone with a mental health condition. And if you broaden that to people just impacted by mental health, so you know someone, you're related to someone, you've had a conversation about it, Uh, research from Deloitte would say that's 90% of people. And if you think about, I mean, even if I think about my family members, myself, you know, who've had experiences ranging the gamut, you know, anxiety and depression, and those are one experience. And if I go, oh, I had a friend who had anxiety, and this is how it worked out. And then the next day, an employee talk to me about their anxiety it's very easy to make assumptions that those are the same thing and it's very easy to assume that depressed people are sad and people experiencing ocd have neat desks and it's very easy to both make assumptions based on our personal experiences on based on sort of caricatures that we've gleaned from the media and when we do that we're really limiting what we can actually understand from someone's their their experience because in fact people experience anxiety, depression, OCD, you know, all kinds of grief, trauma, stress, like in, in very different ways, which also means that the support and the solutions to them is going to be in very different ways. So we're, by nature, biased creatures, we've evolved to be biased, we've evolved to make quick decisions and recognizing that's not bad, but just acknowledging it and acknowledging the impact it might have and taking some time to explore it is really an important first step. And then there's a piece too i think around recognizing what that actually means in practice so if someone is struggling if you think they might be struggling you know if you're curious to know how you can support reframe the question from okay can this person do this thing or can this person take this assignment or now that i know this about this person like what should i be thinking about reframe to how can this person be successful? And whether that's mental health, whether that's skill sets, whether that's other things, that framing versus a, they can do it or they can't do it. Oh, because they have this experience, because they're feeling traumatized, because they have this experience of depression, they can or can't do this thing. It's, oh, they're human. And this is coming with their set of experiences. And what would it look like for this person to be successful in this role?
1: Because that's one of the big fears, right? That's one of the truly big fears is if I come out and say this, somebody is going to make an assumption. You know, if I say I'm going through something, but I know it's, I know it's temporary or I think it's going to be temporary, but I got a handle on it. But that assumption, that's, that's the true fear. And then you know, the, just that added stress of recognition and what that does to the condition, whatever it is you're handling, right? It's like a snowball. It just starts rolling down the hill and getting bigger and bigger as you go. And, but I do think that's one of the, one of the biggest fears is, you know, I'm going to be either, well, it's all kinds of fears, right? Cause it happens, ostracized, kept out of jobs, um, more people knowing than should know, Um, those sorts of things. Yeah. And when we've spoken with professionals, particularly experiencing mental health conditions
2: at work, what they've said is the burden of trying to cover it up, to your point, because of the fear, is actually worse than the condition (laughs) itself. Really? And so, yeah. And so certainly workplaces are not set up to be healthcare providers, but they can be set up to take away that burden of trying to hide it. Mm -hmm. And that is another tool that managers can have in their toolbox in addition to being able to support a person on an individual basis how do you think about creating a team culture where there's safety in experiencing mental health so we talk at mindshare partners the goal isn't necessarily for everyone to be hundred percent open with all of their mental health experiences all the time (laughs) that is not necessarily the goal people have different personalities they have different desires some people are more open some are less and that's all fine What we want is for people to feel safe experiencing challenges to their mental health and to recognize that they're normal and human, which they are. And so a manager doesn't have to be in an executive role to play a role in that culture creation. So they can lead with vulnerability themselves. So if I hear my manager talking about a mental health experience that they've had, or if I just hear them talking about how they feel stressed right now, does not need to be a glorious story with the beginning, middle, and end, that helps me know that successful people at my company are human too and experience ups and downs. And I may never say anything about my own experiences, but I know that when I have them, that it's fine. So when managers can kind of lead with that vulnerability, create safety, even just using the vocabulary, even just saying the words mental health, visibly attending events, putting a therapy appointment on your calendar that everyone can see, like there's little things that just go, This is a thing here. We recognize it. We support you. That's going to allow people to not only feel that safety, but if they do get to a point where it's impacting their work or a mental health challenge is impacting their work, they feel like they could do some support. They are going to come to you as their manager much earlier. So you can imagine someone who feels unsafe and feels like my manager is not going to support me. Like I am going to hide that for as long as possible until it maybe has reached a crisis point. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but as a company, I want somebody to get support as early on the process as they want. That's going to reduce my risks as a company. It's going to keep people around. It's going to create a better workplace. So if you've got individual managers or who are saying mental health is normal, I felt this way before, everyone feels this way, this is a thing. And then an employee who feels a challenge comes very early. And very early on in a, someone's challenge, a solution might be very little, it might be extra check-ins with the manager. It might just be having it known. It might be a very small change in schedule for a short period of time. And if you're waiting you know, until things are really to a more of a crisis level, it might be a leave of absence. It might be much more costly things you know, to a company than things that had been addressed earlier. So again, managers being able to both create a culture through of safety by sharing stories, by modeling that behavior, they're also allowing employees to get support earlier, which is certainly better for the employee and and better for the company.
1: Yeah, I just wanna emphasize that because I find that, I, I love that. So you're saying basically that openness about mental health in the workplace is actually risk management on the issue. I think it reduces risk. We hear a lot from companies,
2: a lot of worry about bringing mental health initiatives because it introduces risk and actually it's our strong belief that companies are already facing risk yeah and companies who are not talking about mental health are facing much more risk than companies who are because employees are waiting longer the crises are bigger um you haven't you have 70 of your employees not getting support for challenges that they're experiencing versus right. companies that are talking about it are enabling that support much earlier
1: And I think it's interesting, you know, if you think about the number of times, you know, so I encourage that conversation. You never want to talk about the underlying condition because that's none of your business, um, even if the employee shares it. But the idea that what do you need and how can we provide it? How many times do you have to ask that question before the employee raises their hand? It happens. Yeah, I've had clients that have had that, like we've asked it and like, you have to ask it every time, especially when you're addressing a performance issue. So it's already going over the cliff and you're having the performance issues. You put them on a plan. You're having these continued meetings. You have to ask it every time you'd be surprised about the second or the third meeting. I know people go, Oh yeah, they went out and got a doctor's note. Well, yeah, but think about the idea that that's possibly because they've realized I'm not hiding this as well as I thought I was. I'm made aware of of it now, and I'm, I'm still not able to, to get on top of it. I need something else. I need a little bit more. It may take more than one conversation That's right. to get there.
2: That's right. And the advice that we give managers is the phrase, be curious about the impact, not the cause, which is that, to your point earlier, people are afraid to talk about it. They feel awkward about it and they don't want to cross a line. And it feels like there's regulations about it. And you don't need to understand all the points of the ADA to understand that you can always ask questions about what's happening at work. Hey, I've noticed that you haven't been engaged as much in meetings recently. Hey, I've noticed XYZ, just wanted to check in, tell me about what's happening. And a person can certainly decide to tell you whatever they want, you know, about what's going on with them about their health, but you don't need to you don't get to and you shouldn't ask about you know person's health history but you can still ask about what's happening at work impact at work how you can support at work and that's how managers can be a manager without being a therapist and can support mental health without violating regulations or crossing a line kind of in those ways
1: right i love it i love it and i'm excited because we get to continue our conversation (laughs) but for right now, that's our show for today. I want to thank you so much, Jen, for joining us and sharing your thoughts with our listeners and your expertise on this really important issue. Well, thank you so much, Teresa. Thanks for having me. You can learn more about Jen by visiting mindsharepartners.org. That's M-I-N-D-S-H-A-R-E-P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S dot You can also connect with Jen via our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to also thank our listeners, My Radio Angels, James in the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire. Our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar.